podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisden World Cup Daily Podcast. Australia are quietly rebuilding their campaign after that difficult start. They beat Pakistan by 62 runs in Bangalore after centuries from David Warner and Mitchell Marsh. Up top got Australia to 368 despite a late innings collapse. Pakistan were up with the rate for much of the chase, but Stoinis and Zampa put the brakes on in the middle overs to bring about a premature end to the game. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is Pakistan cricket expert Sad Sadiq. Sad, great to have you on the show. Weird game, I thought. Australia started so well, a record World Cup opening stand for Australia, but Pakistan hauled them back really well. The catching for both sides was quite poor, and then given the size of the ground, I'm not sure how much 368 was actually above par. What did you make of that performance from Pakistan? Well, first and foremost, yes, thanks for the invite. Good to be on there with you. Um I think if we go back to the toss, I actually thought it was a strange decision by Barbarazm to uh, bowl first. I think uh, I would have preferred him to bat first, get the runs on the board, put the Aussies under pressure, because they've not been uh, batting that well, Australia, in this tournament. Um, so I think Pakistan need to look at that decision first and foremost. But then when a team makes 360 or so, and, uh, you know, you've dropped one of their main batters on 10 and he goes on to make 163 or whatever it was, then you're always going to be struggling. And, um, yeah, Pakistan's inning started well. Imam and Abdullah Shafiq did, did OK at the start. Uh, but then once the wickets started falling and that run rate was increasing, then it was always going to be a tough ask. And, you know, it's not very often that uh, a team chases down 360-plus in, in uh, 50 overs. Mm. You can, you can sometimes put too much emphasis on single moments in a cricket match, but that drop off um, Osama Mir when David Warner was just on 10, it was such a straightforward chance as well. It's such a different game if you get Warner early. As you say, especially with that Australian middle order that hasn't really got into the competition yet. And I was looking at some of the IPL results at this same venue from earlier this year. 200 was, was a par score and actually... I thought the way Pakistan went about the run chase was almost perfect if they were chasing something like 320, 330. It could have been a very, very different game. What, what have you made of um, Pakistan's campaign overall? It just seems a little bit, for some teams, it feels like everything's falling into place at the right time. With Pakistan, a couple of key players are losing form at the wrong time, it feels. Yeah, I mean, key player, Barbarazm, you know, in four innings, what's he scored? 80-something runs at an average of about 20 strike rates poor you know he's made that 150 um he's he's the main batter you know without a doubt and with him not firing on all cylinders that puts a lot of pressure on the others and it exposes some of the others which i think exposes is quite a harsh word but i i think i'm being very fair because south shaquille's come into the world cup having not played many odis so he was a bit of a left field selection Quality batter, but many feel is he suited to the one-day format. Still unconvinced. If the guy Ahmed, yeah, we know what he can do in terms of a couple of big shots, and then he'll play some daft shot where he'll he'll get out. Um, Rizwan is high quality. Yeah, he, he's he's the the main batter alongside Barbarazm. 
there's too many similar batters, I think. You know, we haven't, Pakistan haven't got that uh, batter who can come in at four, five, six or seven and score a, a 20, 25 ball, 50. You know, the likes of Joss Butler and and those guys, Hardik Bandia. Teams have those players. The best teams have those types of batters. Pakistan just hasn't got that. What Pakistan has is these runner ball, six, seven runs and over type uh, batsmen who are all too similar. Now, whether that's down to selection or form, you know, it's a bit of bit of both. But um, I just think that there are too many similar batters. And then Nawaz coming in at seven today, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, flipping heck, you know, mm. if uh, if we're chasing a, a big total, then uh, Pakistan are not going to do that. And uh, this is what's happened. Um, I've got a question on Nawaz, actually. As someone who doesn't follow Pakistan as closely as you do, I've been perplexed as, as, to, as to where Imad Wasim's gone. He's got an amazing ODI record with the bat as well as with the ball. What, why is it that Nawaz has um, usurped Wasim as the left-arm spinner who also bats at seven? Well, Imad hasn't played ODI cricket uh, for a while uh, for Pakistan. He's been specialising in the T20 format. And um, I did an interview with him before the World Cup and he said, yeah, I'm available. You know, he's got a very good relationship with Mickey Arthur. He said, if they, if they need me, I will. Um... He's not gone into retirement. He's not mm. announced any um, decision uh, where he won't play 50 over cricket. But he said, you know, if they need me, I will play. Um, but, you know, they've gone with, with Navas, who is a nice guy. <laughs> you know, he's one of those cricketers who, you find it difficult to criticise because he's a nice guy. He just he goes through the game not doing anything spectacular. Ten overs, one for 60 or one for 55 or whatever. He'll score you 15, 20 runs, low down the order. He's not one of those guys who will go out there and smash the bowling uh, everywhere or take four or five wickets, uh, which is what you need. I mean, look at Zampa today, Guldeep Yadav, you know, Santana. The top teams... Uh, have got wicket-taking spinners, and unfortunately, Pakistan haven't got that. Mm. Um, there are a few areas where I thought that Australia were, were clearly ahead of Pakistan, and when one Iftikhar apart was power hitting, I thought Australia made a real concerted effort to make the most of the smaller boundaries, often hitting sixes off the first ball of spells as well. Um, you, you sort of allude to the, the lack of firepower in the Pakistan order. Do, do you think that's a, a tactical thing, or do you think there are players out there in Pakistani cricket who haven't got, haven't had the opportunity to really stake a claim in the fifty-over side? Well, Mickey Arthur's made it quite clear that um, this is the approach that they're going to be taking. Um, I'm not sure if Mickey is actually comfortable with this approach. I think the players are pushing this agenda in terms of the way they are batting. You know, that uh, runner ball, as I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, fours. I think there was a stat earlier on that I uh, discovered where David Warner hit nine sixes just in this innings. And Pakistan, obviously, before this innings, had only hit nine sixes the whole team throughout the tournament. So that, you know, that emphasises what you're saying. And the problem is that there are, it goes back to the approach, the similarity of the of the batters. Um you know, we're in 2023 and Pakistan is still playing as if it's 1992 with uh, Imran and Jared Miadad, you know, batting batting it out for Inzamam and Wasim Akram to come in at the end and uh, smash it all, all, all over the place. 
Pakistan can't afford to do that because they're leaving it too late. I know today was slightly different and the Sri Lanka chase was slightly different, but this approach is flawed. It's outdated. Um, it needs changing. Mm. I don't think they've got the personnel, really, to, to um, make those changes. It's too late in the day. They're happy for 170, 180 from 35, 40 overs, keep wickets in hand, and then hope they can get 100 off the last 10 overs. That's not always possible. You know, against India, if you look at that, yeah, Pakistan uh, were doing okay. But quality bowlers, they're, they're relentless. These bowling attacks will keep coming at you. They'll keep trying to take wickets. They won't go into their shells like Pakistan's uh, bowlers do at times. And uh, th this is the problem. Pakistan will rarely score 100 off the last 10 overs in uh, against tough opponents. Mm. It's quite interesting that thinking back to the T20 World Cup last year, Pakistan went in with a, a sort of safety first approach and it was only when Muhammad Harris came into the side halfway through the tournament that sort of really energised them into gear and sort of took them up to the next level. Um, we've got a question from Jack who asks, where have all the Pakistan spinners gone? They used to produce so many high quality spinners. Obviously, the big story before the game is that Shadab Khan was dropped for Osama Mir, who I actually thought bowled all right towards the end of his spell. But obviously, he <laughs> dropped David Warner early on. And yeah, it's a in, really interesting story in that Shadab was someone who's been a really key part of this setup for quite a long time. And, you know, almost his peak of his career, really, he's in his mid-20s now, to, to find himself outside the eleven during a World Cup. What, what do you make of um, the last few months of, of Shadab? Yeah, well, Shadab's had a lot of criticism from ex-players, from fans, uh, insofar as he's neglected playing uh, white, uh, red ball cricket, sorry. And He's focused pre predominantly on T20 cricket, playing in leagues around the world, played in um, England and various other leagues. Um, that has affected his bowling. And the, the problem with Shadab at the moment is that that loss in confidence with his bowling has affected his batting as well, because he was always somebody who could be relied upon down the order at six, seven or eight um, to... to come in and, and whack the ball around when Pakistan needed it. But that's gone out the window as well. The biggest problem with Shadab's bowling is there are some technical issues um, that the likes of Azul Mahmood, etc., have identified. But these technical issues are not being corrected. And, you know, he's just not spinning the ball. His, his googly, which was a great weapon um, for Shadab at his best, it's non-existent. And it's almost like he's going through the motions in his bowling I'm sure he'll deny that, but if you see him, every over he's bowling a couple of pies that are getting smashed out the park. You know, a full toss or a um, half tracker. That's not the Shadab kind that we know. The guy needs to get back to playing first-class cricket to bowl those long spells and uh, prove that he is worthy of a, a, an international mm. recall because at the moment this is the uh, a different Shadab Khan to uh, to what we know. What, what do you make of the, the the broader question of the production of Pakistani spinners in that there, there isn't really a, a top quality? And it's not just in white ball cricket as well. We've seen it, I guess, since Yasser Shah lost his place in the test side. There hasn't really been the emergence. I know Abrar Ahmed has started well, but you, know, you, you think back in the last 30 years of 40 years even of Pakistani cricket, you, you almost always have a, a, a gun spinner to, to attach the team to. Absolutely, and it's a, it's a good point. Abrar Ahmed's one of the reserves in the squad at the moment, um, but they've gone for the defensive option, really, of Mohamed Nawaz. I think they put all their eggs in the Shadab Khan basket, who's not performing. They've bought Osama Amir in last minute, really, in, in terms of the, the World Cup. 
you know, many people thought he wouldn't actually make the World Cup squad. Well, he's there. But, you know, to expect him to perform straight away at the, the highest level against the top uh, batters is expecting a lot. In terms of spinners, there's not many coming through in, in Pakistani cricket. I always remember Sayyid Ajmal back, back in the day. And as you mentioned, Yasser Shah, we've always had that one high-quality spinner, whether it was whatever the format. But these days, the Pakistani spinners are, are, are just very, very defensive in their wicket-taking ability. And you can see that from the, the middle-over stats and the lack of wickets Pakistan are actually taking. Imad Wasim, who I feel should have been selected for the World Cup. I think um, maybe Barbarazm, I don't know, for some reason didn't want him there. But um, in my opinion, I would have taken Barbar uh, uh, Imad Wasim to this World Cup. Mm. Um, there are a few positives for Pakistan today. Um, I thought Harris, Ralph and Shaheen are freely bowled really well at the end of the innings to, to Hall. Australia back in um, and also Abdullah Shafiq continued his good start to the World Cup a, a lot of people listening and watching this won't actually have seen much of Shafiq or they might have only seen him in test cricket how, how excited are you um, about Shafiq as a overall prospect across the format yeah he's a wonderful batter very correct um, he reminds me a little bit of barbarism in the way he bats you know those lovely cover drives it's almost effortless the, the way he, he bats uh, my only criticism would be that, you know, if you are chasing eight, nine and over, um, you know, him and Imam al-Haq, are they the ideal uh, partnership? I think Fakhar Zaman's injury and loss of form has been a problem for Pakistan as well. But, um, yeah, going back to Abdullah Shafiq, he's, he's a wonderful cricketer. He's a proper batsman. He's one of those batters who you know can play in all formats. And, um you know, his, his test form already has been very good. He's shown in this World Cup with a couple of very fine innings as well. Um, so he's definitely one for the future. Um, I think alongside the likes of a fucker Zaman or somebody who can score quickly with him, that's the ideal combination for me. Hmm. Well, it's a second loss in the tournament for Pakistan. Still a long way to go. They can still very much qualify for the semi-finals. Uh, Saj, great having you on the show. We'll talk again later in the competition. That's it for part one. Um, ben will join me in part two to talk about tomorrow's two games. Two games tomorrow, Netherlands, Sri Lanka and England, South Africa. We've talked loads about England. So let's start with the Netherlands-Sri Lanka game. It's unlikely that either side will qualify for the semi-finals, but it's a really big game for how these two campaigns are likely to be remembered. Yeah, and it obviously is unlikely, but I feel like we should, especially with the Netherlands, we should give them a bit of credit here almost. They have spoken this whole time that they don't want to just, you know, come here and, you know, bloody a few noses. They see themselves as semi-final contenders and given how they played against South Africa, I mean, it is very unlikely, but if they're going to make a proper, you know, push for that, then they have three of their next four games are against the other four side, the other three sides that you would expect not to be in contention in Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Bangladesh. They've got to win all three of those games if they are to make a push. And then all of a sudden, if, if they are to do that, even that's a big if, if they are to do that, then they're going to go into the last, what, five days of the group stages when they have games against England and India with four wins. Mm. Like, they'd have to be in the conversation then at least, and that starts tomorrow. And then Schranker, from the other point of view, already it looks pretty unlikely they're going to make those semifinals. But they've kind of had, I mean, they've had a, a bad campaign for sure, you know, captain injured, star player injured, um, world record chase gone down, world record score conceded. Um, but equally, they've played okay in mm. each of those three games if they lose tomorrow 
then all of a sudden this is a you know an all-time bad campaign you're looking at, at heads rolling at you know total kind of like uh uproar and 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 reprisal whereas if they if they win that they can maybe scrape a few things back maybe look to finish you know sixth maybe and you know who knows they can put they can't really put a run together to mm. make the semis we're being honest but yeah Sri Lanka are almost like the inverse New Zealand at this point in that New Zealand have had a relatively favourable fixture list mm-hmm. Sri Lanka have actually had a pretty difficult set of games starting up and even though they they've lost all three games there they have actually been positives in all three games and in particular the batting lineup you've seen the openers do really well in one game uh, but the middle order not back that up and the, the inverse happen in other games. So you think that they have the potential to actually be a pretty decent side, but it just hasn't quite clicked. And tomorrow might be the day that that does click. Yeah, and, and Netherlands, they've, they've played better in the tournament as a whole than Sri Lanka, but actually they're a bowling side. And mm. you still think that given that Sri Lanka battle was quite a good one, they should put up a, a decent total. And then you're actually looking at is that they, they made some really big scores in the qualifiers, so they definitely can do it. But are they a side that's going to put up, you know, the kind of 330, 340 total needed to win a World Cup game against a good batting side? Hmm. That's That could be tricky. So I think it will be an interesting game and and whichever way it goes, there'll be something to be spun out, I guess. What about England, South Africa? Absolutely huge game, both sides coming into it off the back of uh, unexpected defeats. England to Afghanistan, South Africa to Netherlands. Just an absolutely enormous game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, goes without saying, really the biggest game for for either side in ODI cricket since, uh, well, for, for England since the World Cup final and for South Africa since, since quite a bit before that. Um, and, and yeah, it feels like both of their campaigns actually hinge quite a lot on this just because of if you lose, you've lost two in a row, including one that mm. you really didn't expect to lose uh, before. And it will be, you know, fast. I still don't think we quite know how good are of these sides are South Africa are the kind of side that will blow really hot and blow really cold just because that's how they're they're set up so if they get off to a flyer that they could they could easily win it in the first kind of 25 overs equally uh if England kind of get it right then we've seen how that South Africa lineup is vulnerable and then with England I guess we don't know how good they are because we haven't seen them with all their players available and Ben Stokes in the side and we also don't know how they'll actually fit him back in yet I mean it seems like people are sort of starting to expect that He'll come back in for an all-rounder, probably Sam Curran, which is a change to the balance that England have favoured, but the right one and also who you drop from the batters when everyone's done, has done at least one good thing in the tournament. Um, and then you're actually, they're figuring out how to manage that balance on the fly. Uh, also how to be a batting lineup up and who goes where on the fly. Um, so more questions for England, I think, and I don't think South Africa will be, they don't have another, any other options with team balance really and they won't be looking to change it. But also... Um, it just, yeah, it just is massive for them and it'll be a really, really good game as well. Like two teams, one with a very distinct play style, one who's figuring it out, but for whom, you know, defending champions, it's just going to be, it's going to be such a good game. Mm. Like in a way, obviously India Pakistan is always not anticipated, but this is the game of the World Cup that the day before I've been the most looking forward to, not just as an England fan for the mm. context of the tournament. And it's also going to start, you know, this game that we've had today, you sort of see how that affects the semi-final race. And then on Sunday, we've got, India, New Zealand, and whether one of those sides can be pulled back into that semi-final race as well. Uh, this is when the World Cup almost like that semi-final race is really going to start getting clear who's wearing it, I think. Mm. Um, and just on team selection, we've talked about it a lot over the last week or so, but one potential change we haven't really talked about that much on the podcast, at least, is, is David Willey coming in for Chris Wokes, which, mm-hmm. which might happen, but that's something that you think should happen. Yeah, I, th- I, I do. I think and it's, it's as much dependent on 
South Africa as it is on David Willey himself. It's just weird that people don't talk about David Willey at all, basically. And like, um, this, this is a very good cricketer who's done some very good things for England, who has a very good record over the last few years. And he's not in the squad to make up the numbers as much as, you know, England talked about having want to, to rotate loads. I think he's just a player who's in good form and England are kind of struggling for a bit of form right now. So why not pick him? He's really good with the new ball and especially against Africa, new ball wickets could be key. Also, he's that bit slow, which I actually think weirdly could help him because the Africa, they, they love high, hard pace. Mm. Um, in a, if it was a different side, if England, you know, playing Sri Lanka or someone, I could see Gus Atkinson actually being maybe the more impactful, but but David is a very canny, resourceful cricketer. And I think that there's not, I don't think people would have expected him to play a big part in the World Cup coming in, but just with how it's played out, then yeah, why not? I guess the thing is, is mm. two left armers sharing the new ball would be a weird thing. Yeah, but people always say that, but no one ever loses any sleep when they're two right-handers right opening the ball. Exactly. So I, I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but it's just England will, they will consider that aspect of it. But mm. I think it's got to be a chance of playing, right? Definitely. Well, as Ben says, two huge games tomorrow. England, South Africa has got the potential to be the game of the tournament so far. I'll be at a wedding, so I won't be <laughs> either watching it or on tomorrow's pod. Uh, on tomorrow's pod, we'll have Ben and Butch reacting to both games. Podcast Network.